0: From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for December 30th, Tiger Woods' 44th birthday, 2019, and to recap a very eventful 2019, we have Associate Editor of Golf Digest, Stephen Hennessy with us for his annual appearance to review the year. Welcome back. Jeremy, always great to
1: join you at the end of the year here. Uh, Yeah, exciting 2019 in golf, so pump to
0: kind of review review the year with you? Um, you know, your colleague Alex Myers posted 101 things which happened to Tiger in 2019. I don't think we're going to talk about 101 things which happened in golf in 2019. I think we could skip a few of those
1: things, you right.
0: Yes, um, but that is a very entertaining list if any of you out, out there are, 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 are interested. Before we get to 2019, let's talk about some news here because um, it was announced a week and a half ago, I think it was, that Tiger is going to redesign the Peter Hay Par 3 course at Pebble. Pebble means a lot to you. Go back to last year's podcast to hear about that. Pebble means a lot to me because in 98, my first summer in golf, we went to Pebble Beach with the hope of playing that Par 3 course and found out that that famous car show was taking it over. So that was the first time any of us had walked into a major car show in our lives. Um so this is a very significant investment, and you talked to some of the people behind it. And for the folks out there who haven't heard about this, what's basically uh, going to happen post the AT and T, and then opening up next fall? Right.
1: So the Peter Hay course has always been known kind of as a little mini pitch and putt uh, for beginners. Great for you know people who aren't at Pebble. You know maybe to play golf. It's you know it's been very affordable for. Everybody, and that that part's supposed to stay the same, which which is great. Um, but it's kind of just a little uh, subtle part of the property, right across from the new uh, training <laughs> practice facility that they built up a couple of years ago. But kind of nondescript in terms of golf. It's meant to be just a fun place to, you know, hit a <laughs> balls, and it'll remain that. But. Now Tiger Woods and his design team have been signed uh, to, you know, fully remodel it and and reconstruct it and turn it into some interesting golf holes, which you know before was sort of just a a meadow with some greens and uh, you know teeing areas. But obviously the trend in golf has been building these non-traditional golf experiences, and you know in the last couple of years there's been the the advent and popularity of these nine-hole, uh, these part-three courses, the cradle at Pinehurst, uh, Bandon's uh, Preserve, obviously, was the first of its kind, and Sand Valley. Most of these resorts now have these uh, non-traditional golf offerings, and now Pebble has devoted the resources to you know, making its part-three course more of a part of the property because, you know, to be honest, when you go to Pebble and... You know, you're on a trip there playing, you know, you're playing Spyglass, you're playing Spanish Bay, you're obviously trying to play Pebble. Playing the Peter Hay wasn't necessarily, you know, a must play part of your experience at Pebble, but now it may be. And so it's smart that, uh, you know, Pebble has done this and obviously having Tiger do it with his history at Pebble Beach and also the previous architects who have experience working at Pebble Beach's courses. Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer were along the design consultants at Pebble and did work on the course itself so now to have Tiger Woods be you know the, the remodeler at Peter Hay and have that part of uh, his history and you know obviously him being raised as a public golfer in the state of California too I'm sure this means a lot to him and it was actually his idea to do this he approached Pebble while he was at on the property, uh, ahead of his preparation before the U S open this year. So, you know, it is a cool story and it'll be cool to kind of track They're They're supposed to start the work, uh, mid year, next year, uh, I think may with the idea of opening up in October. So, um, more to come and, and a part we should mention too, is that there's supposed to be an exact replica of the seventh green at Pebble. Probably, um, it's most, you know, photograph part of the property for sure is the seventh green the little drop shot part three that's you know in sight to some big moments in golf and what pebble going to do is they're actually going to recreate the green in its exact dimension you know width and length and the exact elevation down from the tee box will match that of the tee box from seven on pebble beach itself and it's actually going in the same direction south, so you'll have the same wind direction as if you were playing double B that day, so um, it's obviously a lot of, uh, a lot of thought has gone into this design, and it'll be interesting to see the, the finished
0: product. Yeah, it, it sounds amazing, and uh, by the way, for the folks out there who may be wondering, how do they, how can they do the exact dimensions, the exact green, etc., Jim Nance, when he built the replica in his backyard, which was smaller, but built to the same specifications, half the drop, half the size, the exact undulations of the green, the exact placement of the bunker, um, consulted with the Pebble people who had the exact data for his people who built that to uh, go off of. So they have that data and it sounds amazing um, That's when that comes out. All right, Steve Hennessy, Golf Digest. You oversee the 100 Greatest Courses panel. So if any of you uh, read that and swear by it, thanks, Steve. Um, The play section and betting. And betting, to me, is this really interesting place that we are in in golf right now. Because now that it's legal, but it's only legal in 12 states or so, um, after the uh, Supreme Court knocked down the previous law, I've betted on golf a little bit just to kind of get my feet wet and kind of understand where we are it's now a part of the golf digest podcast which you can listen to wherever you get your podcasts like this one every week for pga tour events from a thirty thousand point view where do you think we are on golf betting is this something where those of us who are a part of golf twitter maybe make too much out of it than the rest of the folks do or do you think there actually is movement to where this is going to be a huge part of the game going forward
1: yeah really interesting question, one that I think about a lot, Jeremy. Um, I, I think we're kind of at, we're at a start to all of this, so it's we're maybe not, that the average golfer and the average PGA Tour fan is probably not seeing any difference as to how they consume the products right now, but I think if you read the tea leaf of what the PGA Tour is doing, they have a partnership with IMG Media, which is a uh, European-based company, uh, you know, sports book operator and there's going to be a part three, all, although we know it's a part of that deal is there's going to be some sort of contract that allows the PGA tour to offer deaths on part three holes going forward. So what that means, we're not sure, but what it could mean is interesting to think about. And you could kind of see where they would want to go with this because, you know, from, from the start of the legislation, the, um, that, was passed last year, uh, the PGA Tours, in, in everything that they've put out there, has really embraced you know, gambling and, and betting on sports as much as any other uh, sports league. So, you know, you kind of see them continuing to embrace this going forward and, and what that me- what that might mean with, with this uh, partnership, the Part 3 partnership might be um, either on-site, so if you're at a PGA Tour event, You know, maybe they hand out some sort of device where you could bet on you know whether a player hits the green or not, or you know who's closest to the hole. You know, that's that's kind of limited because you know it's only limited to the people who are at a tournament. But you could also see that kind of being widened to some sort of different stream. This is kind of what how I see it going is if the PGA Tour offered an alternative stream that you know people could buy and. was really streamlined for betting purposes. So, you know, you can see the day whether whether this is next year at some point in 2021 who knows, maybe this is five years down the road but you can see the tour offering to those who are interested a stream where you could watch you know, and they're doing this now with the players this year obviously the Masters did this last year where they show every single shot of every player at a tournament and the players is now doing that so they'll have a camera on every hole you know on every player for every shot which is when you think about the production that goes into that it's quite the undertaking so you know you can see why this hasn't happened yet but I think the players will be a good litmus test for them to see you know really what will go into this and on some level there could be a streamlined version of what they'll do with the players for gamblers so you know currently if I'm hitting on golf you know whether that's a DraftKings or FanDuel lineup in daily fantasy or a matchup that one player against another for a round or a tournament, you know, you can't watch every shot unless that player is in a featured group. So if I'm betting, you know, Sam Ryder versus Jason Kokrak, who they might not be uh, televised and certainly not every shot, I'm kind of in the dark as to how they're doing on every Shots, so you know I'm following the PGA Tour leaderboard, which is often imperfect and often updates incorrectly. So you know if you're betting on that matchup, it's not a great experience because you have to kind of guess how your how your progress is. So how I see it going would be, you know, this stream you'd be able to watch every player's shot, and then why not? You know, if I'm a gambler, why not? Uh, you know, pay for that if I'm betting. You know. Enough money on a matchup, then you're gonna pay whatever it is, ten bucks a month, uh, you know, for this ability to watch every player's shot. So that's kind of how I see this going. There's a lot of things that need to happen first, but that's sort of the thirty thousand seat level. Um, what's possible, you know, I think in the spring, what we're gonna see is you know, with with more and more states uh, legalizing it, and you know, having legalization lead to mobile betting I think that's big states like Michigan uh, have done it the right way in terms of you know having uh, sportsbooks offer mobile betting right away from where legalization happened and you have states like New York where the legalization's been passed um, you know for over a year now but New York just hasn't figured out what it wants to do in terms of sportsbooks offering it. Um, who it's going to be offered by, whether, uh, you know, handled by the state, whether, uh, you know, which books can operate within the state and how they could operate. Obviously, there's a lot of legal hurdles to go through, and, and some states have figured that out kind of fast. We, you know, you and I both live in New Jersey, and they were the first ones to offer it, uh, you know, back in, I guess that was, the, the uh, legislation was in May. And then in, I think, July or August, you know, people were placing bets in New Jersey. So some states have figured it out. Some states haven't. Obviously, with only 13 states currently having it legal, it's sort of limited in scope. But, you know, we see where this is going, and it's a huge revenue generator for these states in terms of taxes. I mean, New Jersey's already surpassed Nevada in terms of uh, the amount of money that they take in. Sportsbooks, which is crazy, in just a year and a half that they've already made such headway. That might be more of a statement on New Jersey residents and how they love to gamble, and it's been a part of New Jersey people's you know fabric, you know, with Atlantic City and uh, you know maybe unlegalized uh, betting methods in the past. But um, anyway, that, that was a long way to say that I think we're just tipping the iceberg. And exciting for those who are interested a little bit to see how this progresses uh, in the next couple of years.
0: First of all, nice job pulling out Sam Ryder and Jason Kokrak on. No offense to that. Yeah, random random names on December 30th, when your mind probably has not been on golf. So well done on that front. Um, yeah, n- n- number two, there's also the ability to quickly cross the river. Into Jersey. And I think that has an impact, too, because mobile betting came so fast and because it's very easy to get into this state, have your geolocator correctly put you in New Jersey, place the bet, and then cross the border right back. Um, right. You, you know, yeah,
1: that's kind of, and, and that's a little limited to just, you know, our area and how many people are doing that. I'm not so sure, but enough people where there were news stories that, Finance guys during their lunch breaks were taking the pass train over to New Jersey to place their bets and then going back to work. So It oh, obviously is happening, um, but you know when you think about the entire country, you know how how many people are actually doing that to go into a legal state. Um, so it's, it is the tip of the iceberg, I think, and uh, you know I think by the end of next year we're going to have more than half of states. Uh, have it legal. So at that point, it'll be kind of more widespread. And again, if I think, I think if the tour continues to embrace this, and of course they will, because it's a huge revenue opportunity for them, you know, to offer these alternative, uh, you know, streams where people can watch every shot. Again, the production of such things, you know, is not insignificant. So um, they have to figure that part out, but. It's it's exciting to think about for those of us who who have an interest
0: in this area. And there's and there's many more layers we can get into the legalization of pot and pot taxes versus betting revenues, um, shotlink and the fact that shotlink not available everywhere. There's so many different levels, but obviously that's for another podcast and another time. Um, we're talking talking with Steve Hennessy from Golf Digest. In your mind, was fifteen or eighty two more significant for Tiger? Because there's an argument to be made, including someone who writes for your magazine, Jim Nance. The 82 is the number that people may not have paid attention to, but it shows the longevity. 15, I think a lot of people thought if if, if, if Tiger got healthy, there would be enough venues where 15 could happen. So which, as you look back on this year, which stands out?
1: Well, to me, it's not close that Tiger winning his 15th major is the story. Um I think it's been debated a little bit inside golf that, you know, which one is. I think the, the real debate that you could have, and I would see view this, is what's more impressive? And I can see the argument that 82 wins is more impressive because it's just such an insane amount of victories over a long period and that longevity, you know, winning 82 tour events kind of speaks to Tiger's impressive career so you know I'll I'll give you that but to win in 15th major you know with all of the the things going against him um, that people wrote him off you know just a year and a half ago said he'll never win again Uh, you know all those people who said that you know they're not going to live that down Uh, and yeah obviously won the tour championship before Winning the Masters uh, this April, at, you know, I don't think anything in golf really comes comes close to that. It's obviously, this year, but I think you can only argue for maybe Ben Hogan uh, overcoming his injuries and winning again on tour after his horrific uh, bus accident back in the, the late 40s and 50s. Um, I think Tiger's one of the most significant sports stories of our lifetime certainly and you know if, if you're if you're in golf you know that he won 82 tour events if you're not a huge golf fan I don't think people could tell you oh yeah Tiger won his 82nd tour event this year that doesn't really mean much to people outside of golf I, I think you know the casual sports fan knows that Tiger won the Masters this year because the Masters is the, one of the biggest sports events of, of the calendar so the fact that he was able to do it, you know, with, with such an impressive feat. for uh, can't really do it justice. And you know, to, to think back to how he did it, um, and you know, he didn't have the lead at all the entire week until the 16th hole, when he made birdie there and headed to the 16th. Uh, you know, finally with the lead after Francesco hit those Aaron shots. Um, what what an event! Uh, so to me and I don't know how you feel Jeremy but to me I, I think 15 is so much more impressive and I'll make one more point too and that's that you know Sam Snead who has the PGA Tour record for most wins with 82 now Tiger's tied with him even that number 82 is you know can be argued because there were a lot of events back then uh that were smaller fields that you know there were 16 people fields um there's a lot of, and there was a, and people should go and read Alex Meyer's uh, piece on golfitis.com of why Sam Sneed should be credited maybe for more. Uh, or The point is that Tiger could be credited with more than 82 wins based on what Sam Sneed has been credited for in his career. Some of these team events, some of these uh, low field events. You could make the argument that Tiger is not getting credit for some wins that he's had in his past. So I think 82, is in a in a way, is sort of arbitrary in that uh, the the committee that decided which uh, which wins Sam Smead would be credited for, uh, they just kind of determined. Oh yeah, now it's 82, and that happened back when Dean Beeman decided that should happen in the 80s. Um, so that's why I feel 82 wins. isn't isn't nearly as big of a deal as 15 majors. And, again, I can see the argument that 82 tour wins speaks to Tiger's longevity, but, uh, you know,
0: golfers are all measured by their major victories, and that's why 15 is so special. I am so with you on that. Um, First of all, if you haven't read Alex's piece, do so. He breaks it down amazingly well. Secondly, I still go back to number 16. At Augusta. Because he needed to hit the shot. He hit the shot exactly the right place. And the shot that CBS got of Michael Phelps behind him. And you can argue that in the 2010s, the only athlete who had a better comeback than Tiger Woods. Or sorry. eh, eh, Sorry. The only person who had anywhere close to a comeback as good as Tiger Woods was Michael Phelps. From all of his off-the-pool, you know... Uh, 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 problems plus not being into it. Training for the training for the 2012 Olympics. The fact that Phelps was there just to me is just perfect. Uh, a a perfect story, perfect narration. Whatever the case may be. We're talking to Steve Hennessy from Golf Digest. Let's go through some quick hitters here. First of all, um, major champion not named Tiger with the highest ceiling long term. The question here is because this some could look at this as a trick question is how how long can Bruce Kepka have a chip on his shoulder? Because I think most people would look at this and say, Lowry Woodland Kepka, it's gotta be Kepka, but he has thrived off of chips and how long when you're this successful and and this rich and have this many wins can you stay this motivated?
1: Right. I, I think I think Kepka will continue to to do that. Um I think, you know, people like him find a way to keep the chip on, on their shoulder. I think he'll continue to do that going into 2020. Uh, I think the biggest question with him is the injuries. Um, you know, I think him missing the President's Cup with that injury was significant. Uh, and then I think he had a couple injuries he's battling here at the end of the year. So. Yeah. Um, and injuries have plagued his career. A bit in the past, he missed the Masters a couple of years ago, too. So, uh, you know, we hope, we're wishing Kepka the best. But, uh, you know, so I think he'll have to overcome those injuries. And, you know, if he's healthy, I would say he's obviously a huge, you know, force to be reckoned with. his proved that the last couple of years, winning back-to-back US Open, back-to-back PGA Championships. So impressive. It, you know, he was playing nearly flawless well golf. And, Back page, uh, which was impressive to see, and he nearly won the Masters, too. I think that's kind of lost in 2019. Obviously, Molinari had the lead for uh, most of Saturday into Sunday, but Kepka was, you know, had a shot to tie Tiger there on 18. Um, So, Kepka is obviously one of the best, right there with Rory. Uh, I hope Rory. You know, that that can be a storyline that never evades Rory at the Masters, you know, completing the career grand slam, so maybe Tiger has taken a little attention away from him, but uh, that'll always be in in Rory's
0: run-up. Rory's finish to the year was just amazing, and yeah, we're about to re-enter that cycle of Rory, Spieth, and Phil all you know the first three majors away from the career grand slam. For me, it's it's Kepka with the highest ceiling if he's healthy. But I do think this is a boost to Gary Woodland, and now that his family situation is stable and he can put in the time and the effort to get truly ready for 2020, would not be surprised if if Woodland gets a win or two going into 2020. Um, social media, you guys live it every day at Golf Digest. Quickly, as you look at Patrick Reed in this fiasco. Uh, Going back to Hero, to me, he should sit down with somebody, have an interview, and just say, I messed up, I'm going to sit down with the USGA, and I'm estranged from my family, I'm sorry, it's just the way that it is. A lot of us are like that, I'll hopefully work to improve it down the line, but that's it. By saying nothing, he's just letting these things balloon, and we're going to hear a lot more things, I believe, worse than 14 clubs and a shovel going into into 2020. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think, I think you're right. He needs someone sort of advising him on, on how to handle these things because, you know, his reaction to, um, to this was, you know, everything always happens to me like this. He kind of, he, what he should have done was just take responsibility for this, say, you know, I didn't know the role fully. It's on me. Um, you know, I accept this and move on. Instead, he sort of asked for some, uh, for, he, he asked for people to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt, and you know, people are, are not going to do that. So I think you're right. If, uh, if he had better people advising him, um, I think he may have handled it a little differently.
0: And look, you're blaming the camera guy. Really? You're, you're blaming Tommy Roy, Tom Randolph, and Doug Graybert for not getting a better camera angle on that? Like seriously, that's your, that's your reasoning. No one's going to believe that ever.
1: And it's the same guy who last year on the European tour, uh, you know, was yelling at the, yelling at the, uh, the camera guy to get away from him when he was in the chip shot. So, you know, we've kind of seen time and again, him, um, being a little, having a little low, uh, I don't know what the right word is. Um, He he likes to blame others, then he doesn't take
0: responsibility. Yep. Yep. You got that. Um, All right. Here we go. Um, Final question for Steve Hennessy, Golf Digest. Your shot of the year in
1: 2019. Well, you alluded to it, Jeremy. I I think there's no doubt it's uh, Tiger's tee shot on 16. And the irony didn't, uh, you know, I, I noticed that too with Michael Phelps right behind the tee with all the things that he had gone through in his comeback, uh, you know, and then to compete in the Olympics again, you know, the best to ever do it in the Olympics. And then he's watching, you know, this moment where Tiger is, you know, kind of mounting his comeback and, and cementing it. Uh, but for me, that, that was one of the best moments in sports that I've seen, period, not just 2019. So that's obviously... I think the shot of the year, and you also alluded to it rolling toward the hole. You know, taking the slope perfectly uh, on that famous 16th green at Augusta, almost going in. I mean, if Tiger had hold that shot, that's one of the best shots in golf ever, and it's still to me the best shot of the year.
0: And it's one of the best clutch moments in sports ever, too. I'm going to go a little different than next. I know a lot of people go Tiger at Augusta. I'm going to go Jennifer show at Augusta. And those two fairway medals on 13 and 15 on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, final round, which was on a Saturday. Those were two of the clutchest fairway medals you will ever see in your life. And I'm so glad Augusta National sent her crystals. Um, uh, sorry, sent her a crystal for that because it was well-earned and well-deserved. In 15 seconds or less, because this is, you know, golfers have to think on the fly. 15 seconds or less, your golf goal for 2020 is? My goal would be to, uh,
1: to become a single-digit handicap. Uh, I'll go personal here. Um, I'm at like a 12-2 handicap, so to get down to a single-digit is probably not something I ever thought would be possible. But uh, And to trim two shots off my index will be tough but that's my goal for
0: 2020 for those who follow steve hennessy you will know this Let's has go. been a long journey for you so for you to get from where you were to now a 12 and then single digit would be a heck of an accomplishment and a lot of hard work along the way the last couple of years uh, thanks jeremy
1: yeah uh, I've, I've come a long way with my golf game probably like started at a 25 or 26 or so so uh and you've you've seen it in action and and now you know I'm, I'm getting there. So, still, still at my moments as we all be struggling with the game, but, um, yeah, sort
0: of get that a single digit to be a ton of fun. Hey, there's a, hey, there's a reason why the PGA tours, uh, scratch platform has shank week. Uh, because it happens to just every, you know, including the pros, it happens to everybody. Uh, for, for me, it's under 90 consistently. I've been in the nineties too, too much lately. Um, and uh, that's something which I hope to do in 2020. So, bringing this full circle, right now on Golf, I, I, I will help your brand, Steve. Right now on Golf Digest is Instagram. You can screenshot a platform, a a, um, a uh, framework for how you want to improve in 2020 and, and, and your and your favorite moments from 2018. Screenshot it on Instagram, and you might see it on the Golf Digest. Instagram feed. I, I may have said golf di- uh, uh channel, I meant golf digest. Um Steve Hennessy is at is at s underscore Hennessy G D associate editor taking care of all the stuff with golf architecture, play and betting. Thank you so much for your annual um your end appearance on teeing it up. Uh, always fun Jeremy. Thanks for having me. You got it. And uh thank you all for listening to to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.